Crossing Broadcast is back. You're a formerly three times a week show, and now once a, uh, a month if you're lucky. Here we are. Uh, it is a great day to be a listener to Crossing Broadcast because, uh, well, Kyle's not here. Um, let's get this out of the way. Really quick programming note. Uh, Kyle's wife had a baby, so they are up to uh, two children that they have brought into this world, and it's great. And in the meantime, while we figure out Kyle's schedule, and I think uh, I think he's slated to come back later this week, uh, in the meantime, we've got the uh, the guy who writes uh, a considerable percentage of the things that you've been seeing on CrossingBroad.com for the better part of the last year. And that, of course, is uh, this team, your team, your town, your Kevin Kincaid. You can find on Twitter, <laughs> at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Kevin, hello. Yeah, yeah Russ, what's going on? I just, uh, I hope I can do an adequate job filling in on the, on the, uh, would you call this the mother, uh, like the mothership of the, of the podcast network? Is Something this, this like, like that. Anchor. This is like this the is, anchor show. Well, <laughs> the is anchor there a proper term for that. I, can't I, I don't know what we'd call it at this point. Yeah, it, it was the uh, the flagship, <laughs> the flagship podcast. The flagship. Yeah, okay, that's what I was looking for. Uh, the most a good start so far. It's it's good. Like I, you know, I think about it now with the five shows. It's like. Uh, uh, I've I've realized that over the last month, it's not just the show that's gone inconsistent. Like there was a month where, uh, or a few weeks where you would you had gone uh, off to Europe, so it's always soccer had kind of disappeared mm-hmm. for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Phil and I were going so consistent during the World Cup on Crossing Broad FC, and then I realized that we haven't recorded in a month, so we're gonna we're gonna do a a, a yeah. show kind of previewing, um, well, kind of recapping, I guess, what a lot of the international leagues are doing right now. So that'll be fun. Oh yeah, and it's a great um, weekend for that. But this is this is one of my favorite sports weekends ever coming up because you got you know Premier League still brand new and whatever, and college football starts on Saturday, so you can literally get up at seven a.m. and watch that first Premier League game. Turn on College Game Day. You get the first college games coming on at one o'clock, flipping back and forth. It's beautiful, man. I plan to just sit on my ass uh, for most of the day and enjoy it. I'm going to be taking in a uh, Leganes versus Real Madrid at two forty-five on Saturday. Here's the thing. Are. I, yeah, I, I know like this, this is my problem. I guess I don't like college sports all that much. I'm not a real big college football guy. Yeah. I, I'm well, not, Philly's I'm not, not yeah. yeah, but you gotta remember too, like I didn't grow up here. So like I, I grew up in like real big Penn state country. Yeah. Even though it's like, what is it? Central, central Northeast well, sure. Pennsylvania or whatever. But like everybody's Penn state all the time up there. And you know, it was good, and and I would enjoy watching a game, but like I wasn't, you know, scheduling uh, a big chunk of my day around the Penn State game, and I've never, no, get, I've yeah. never gone to state college to like go take in a tailgate. Like it's fine, and I think you know when you're from that area, like that's that's who you're supposed to root for. But you got a good weekend coming up with with Nova opening with Temple uh, at the link. Uh, Penn State, I think it's Appalachian State. Then the Eagles, you know, go from this meaningless game on Thursday, the season opener on Thursday. So in the span of five days, you're going to have. Temple, Penn State, Nova, Eagles, um, then the Sixers are coming up probably, th- I think it's three weeks after that. So this is it, man. This is it. We're starting up. Although uh, Alshon Jeffrey's not going to be with the team for the first two weeks. That kind of sucks. Yeah. It's... But uh, we're, you're not surprised, are you? I mean, I don't think no. anybody's surprised by that. You know, it's the irony of it is that, you know, if the super, if the their season ended in the NFC Championship game, say they lost to the Vikings, <laughs> and Alshon got the surgery for the – for the rotator cuff for the shoulder, you know, two weeks earlier than he did, then he probably will, probably will be ready for week one this year. You know, like I don't think people realize how 
how how much it's not, I don't I don't think it's as much about the Super Bowl hangover. It's about the the shortened time frame there. Because when you're talking about these injuries and these off season surgeries and stuff like that, one two three weeks could make all the difference, you know. But their season went three to four weeks, five weeks longer than everybody else's. So I don't I'm not surprised that that he's not ready. Um, you know, it's just all the other stuff with camp too. Nelson Aguilar not really playing. Jay Ajayi getting a rest. Corey Clement. Um, Tim Jernigan not being ready. I mean, it's 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 not one guy or two guys, but the whole sort of all of it piling up. I, I'd I'd be lying if I said I wasn't concerned. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fair to be concerned about it, and and I don't know. Like, I think it kind of speaks to. I know it's a different sport and everything, but like this is the kind of thing that happens at the end of every year when you kind of take into uh, full picture like what LeBron James goes through. Uh, in the course of a year, right? Because he's always mm-hmm. playing in the finals. He always has a shortened summer on Olympic cycles or, uh, you know, whatever international competition cycles. Like he's got practically no days off. And yet he manages to, I know he, he pours millions of dollars into his body every year into making sure that he's in you know peak physical condition. But like yeah, yeah. the idea of having no off season whatsoever, like, yeah, there, there's definitely something to be said for that. Of course, you have the partying phase immediately in the aftermath. And you know that in, in any sport, especially a contact sport like football, those guys are are pretty much up against it with injuries and and they've probably played through a lot of them throughout the course of the season they they don't want their season to end and you know you win a super bowl and and i don't, I don't want to sound like one of the you know sports radio hosts uh who's yelling at clouds or anything but like i think the city to a sense it's not that the city's gone soft but i think like if obviously if the eagles hadn't won the super bowl and you had seen some of the injury concerns and holding guys out of preseason games you know i think the city would have been calling for someone's head and, you know, obviously yeah. there's going to be a buffer zone that's built in here. And I think that's warranted for the most part. But, like, I found this preseason to be the least watchable of any preseason I can ever remember. And it <laughs> yeah. was like, yeah. you know, okay, great. You know, mostly offensive lines in there. Obviously, Jason Peters isn't. And I still expect Jason Peters to get hurt at some point this season. Like, it's it's pretty much, you know, clockwork. It's going to happen at some point. Yeah. We, we know that's a certainty. And, and that's fine. Like, he's going to give you high-quality production at, at some point at left tackle. But, like... It looks like they definitely need it. Um, you know that your starting defense, for the most part, has been in there this this uh, preseason, which has been good. But like for all the people that have been piling on Nick Foles, and they, like, I I don't totally understand it. Like the guy won you a Super Bowl, you don't expect him to be that great, and he doesn't have all his skill guys, you know, out on the flanks, and he doesn't have no, you know a lot of talent in the backfield. Have... So like what what kind of a of a, a real barometer are we going to use here when we're trying to figure out like what Nick Foles looks like in this well, and preseason why, and if he starts week one, you know? That's why I wrote the column that I wrote last week. You know, Nick Foles is who we thought he was, you know, which is just to say that his highs are very high and his lows are very lows. You know, that's always what he's been. Um, whether that was at the Eagles or the Rams uh, with Kansas City, you know, he, he the one good start that he had with Kansas City was followed up by a mediocre start. I mean, he's always been that way. So, of course, you can't really judge the guy based too much on not having Clement, Ajayi, Aguilar, Jeffrey, Hollins, Peters, Sproles. I mean, I think I named all of them that, that weren't available for, for him, you know, as far as skill guys and, and you know, his starting left tackle. Um, but, you, but, yeah, all you really need to see from that third preseason game is string a few passes together, march a team down the field, put together a good drive, you know, score a touchdown or hit a field goal or something like that. That's really it. That, that makes you confident. Um you just want some reassurance. That's all you want. I don't think it's anything more complicated than that. But but I don't think anybody does feel reassured. Now, the the reality of it is that, you know, maybe, no, they're not going to be ready for the Falcons game. Carson Wentz probably not going to play. Uh, you got Foles. Uh, I guess Peter should be fine. You know, who knows about Aguilar. But, 
if they lose that game, so what? You know, I mean, you got the the Bucks in week two without Jameis Winston, who's suspended. You got the Colts in week three with Andrew Luck, who nobody really we'll probably be the, broken by then, right? Yeah, I mean, the jury's still out on him, man. Didn't he just pick up some other injury the other day, or or he, even just, then he has he's a, perpetually injured. He's perpetually injured. He hasn't I mean, he's that great. So it's it's an not, incredible it, ceiling, but like he's never been able to really realize that potential. Um, the only thing, really quick, is you know my my rebuttal. I think to week one, you know, who cares? Um, not only does it kind of set a uh, a bad sort of uh, omen mm-hmm. for the team to to lose coming off of the Super Bowl high. Yeah, after you raise but, the banner the fa- and go but, out and go out, half you know, half injured team goes out and loses at home after raising the banner, the optics of that that's would like look going, really yeah, shitty. It's, yeah, it's going out with a total whimper, and you have to factor that Atlanta's going to be. Uh, you know, at least a pretty pretty decent team. I mean, they they still are returning plenty of good offensive weapons, and you would think that if if the, if Matt Ryan and and Julio Jones and crew are able to kind of put together a a, a season that should be up to their standard, like they're a team that you're probably going to be fighting with. You know, as you're looking for home field, I'm not saying that they're going to be like a top two team in the conference, but like all these wins matter, and especially because of the conference record for tiebreakers. Like, yeah, there there is at least some meaning to this game. It's just a matter of kind of weathering that storm. And if that means that the defense is going to have to carry this game or this team through the first three, yeah. four weeks, yeah. like maybe that's, maybe that's what they have to do. And but Nick Foles just has to, be. has that's, to like, yeah. you know, manage the turnovers and that's fine. But you know, as well as I do that, that's what it's going to be. You know, it's going to be like kind of ugly in the first half. The Eagles offense is going to look really crappy to start. Uh, Fletcher Cox is going to make some plays. Uh, hopefully the linebacking core without Nigel Bradham will be fine. But, yeah, I think the defense will keep keep them in it at the very least in the first game. And then if they lose, they lose. So what? You know, Like I said, it's it's not going to look great or feel great to go out and raise the banner and then, you know, play with half your team in week one. But, you know, it is what it is. And, and as far as Carson Wentz, why you why you want to rush him back? You know, there's, there's no point. I wouldn't play him until week three or week four even. Um, you know, when you look at – Doug Peterson kind of get annoyed with the questions the other day, and I don't, I don't blame him. Uh, you know, I don't know what more he can say at this point. Um, but I, I also don't blame, you know, Les Bowen and Ruben Frank and you know whoever else was in the front row asking the questions the other day because they're just, they're just doing their job. I, you know, they're just trying to figure out what the heck's going on here. But there's, there's, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd be interested in looking at it from a fan perspective and try to withdraw myself from it and say like, hey, if I'm uh, you know, an Eagles fan, how how much do I care if Carson Wentz is ready now or do I need to know right now? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it doesn't really – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch Thursday night no matter what, you know, and then I'm going to watch next Thursday night no matter what. So, you know, if Foles is in, Foles is in. If Wentz is in, Wentz is in. So I think the whole thing just seemed like a big nothing the other day when, when Peterson got kind of pissed off at those questions, you know. Newsflash to all the haters. It doesn't matter who the starting quarterback is for, you know, pretty much any game this season. People are going to watch, they're going to tune in, and they're still going to root just as hard for their team. Um, The only thing that I think kind of freaks me out, at least looking at the first half of the schedule now, is not only do they start, so they start on a a Thursday night, which is fine. That gives you a, a longer window leading into week two against Tampa, which is fine. But you do have a Thursday game against the Giants in week six. Um, and then two weeks later, you're playing, you know, in the London game. And I, and the only thing yeah. that I'm I'm a little bit curious about, or the only thing that I'm a little bit worried about now is Thursday night games. We know that that can throw off the rhythm, especially if you you know catch a few bad injuries or a few nagging injuries early in the season. We already know it's an injury depleted team, and now uh, you know for two of those weeks, you're going to be on short rest. 
I, I don't know if I if I really like the way that the schedule has been constructed. I, there's obviously nothing we could do about it. But like those two things are a little bit, you know, they they raise a couple red flags in my mind. And and the London game just feels like it couldn't come at a worse time. Like I think if that game happens second half of the season after you mm-hmm. kind of have a better idea of what the conference picture looks like, by that point you would hope that the team would be cohesive. And it's not like there was all that much turnover. It's not like you lost a lot of the vocal leaders in the locker room from this team from a year ago from the Super Bowl win. But I don't know. There's part of me that that kind of wishes that trip had happened later in the year. Yeah, if yeah. if things kind of go sideways, like say they start off the year like, you know, Carson Wentz isn't cleared or they're a little bit nervous to play him. They start off, I don't know, like three and three and three or like two and four. You know, the city's not like all of the, the good juju that's kind of gone into the season and gone through the offseason and dealing with stuff throughout the preseason. Like it's still Philadelphia. Like there's still going to be a high standard of, of expecting the team to be competitive and to win. If you start off two and four, I don't think there was going to be as, you know, nearly as many, you know, friendly people calling up the, the fanatic or WIP saying, well, you know, they just won a Super Bowl. Give Doug a break. Like, let's be honest, people are going to be pissed that, that the team's not winning. So, well, I hope so, man, because that would, that would show that they're, they, they're moving on. And it's not just like, like, frankly, I'm, I'm kind of getting annoyed with the social media stuff where it's just like, well, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Oh, just a reminder, the Eagles beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Or let me fly my 41-33 to 33 flag again. Like, yeah, I get it. I, I'm not trying to shit on that. I, I think it's, you know, it, of course the memory of the first Super Bowl is never going to go away. But it's like, all right, let's, let's just move on from that, you know. Get a new season starting next week, you know. And it sounds like the players, you know, Malcolm Jenkins had some stuff that he said in the, in the story that we uh, shared today from, from Shields' column that he wrote for The Athletic, where it's just like, you know, he said he hates the the new Super Bowl banner that they put in the locker room, and he made a good analogy about it because it was, you know, it's not like when you win the Super Bowl you keep the keep the title until somebody comes and takes it from you. It's not like boxing or MMA where if you're, uh, uh, you know, George St. Pierre, you just clean out the welterweight division, beat nine guys in a row until somebody comes and takes your belt from you. Like you give the belt back, like the Stanley Cup goes back to the NHL, and then they give it to the next the. the people that wear it next so it's almost like you hit the reset button you know yeah you hang the banner um but you just move on to the next thing you know uh the, the good thing about the schedule though is that you know you get the redskins twice towards the end of the year the cowboys games are a little bit later um so if you do get off to a rough start you know the nice thing is that by the time carson wentz comes back and he's, he's ready to go you get the giants at home you get the redskins home and away you get the cowboys game so the divisional games will be um, you know, in a good position, I think, on the schedule. You know, that, that Tennessee trip in week four is kind of tricky. You got the Vikings at home. Um, you know, Carolina's not a pushover either, so I don't know. But like like most of the people say, it's a, it's a national football league, you know? There are no easy games. So uh, that I was love my, when people uh, – was, was, was that Jaworski? No, that was oh, like, okay. kind of like a Dan Hawkins, I think. I just love when people like actually. Uh, it was like a Dan. It's Hawk two things when they call it the National Football League. Like we don't <laughs> yeah, know what NFL like stands for. It, they say it for emphasis, like it means more if you if you say the whole uh, the, the shield whole of the National Football. You don't come League. in. You don't come into the National Football League and expect to just learn the offense in one day. You got to put the time in, or blah 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 blah. You know. People treat but it at like the XFL, like the XFL, you can absolutely learn that playbook in a, in two minutes. I'm actually excited CFL, for when the XFL comes out. Man's I don't care about the CFL. You know, Canadians yeah. are too nice for that sport. Um, but I don't know. You tell me, man. I mean, what? So, like, do you give a, a crap about this Carson Wentz stuff, or are you just like in the same mindset that I'm in, which is like, okay, he's he's not even ten months off the ACL yet. When he's ready, he's ready. Like, I don't I don't feel like I need to. Like, the big headline today was, well, Doug Peterson will know by. Friday, whether like what quarterback he'll start preparing for next week, but he may not tell us. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> does like, that move the 
needle for you at all? Well, I mean, the, he shouldn't. He shouldn't announce it until it's you know the last possible minute, right? Like that's that's part of the gamesmanship that goes into any sport, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But like, no, I don't care because like there's, I, I like to kind of approach it from from more of a macro concept, right? Like if if you're gonna live and die with the team every week, which is fine. Like there are people who do that, and and that's a okay. Like live your life, live your best life, enjoy it. Um, but to me, like, I want to take the season as, as a whole. And it's not just this season. It's like the next 10 years. You know, if you roll out Carson Wentz too early, you're going to have Robert Griffin III on your hands. And, like, that's one thing that back when he tore when he tore up his knee against L.A., um, I don't remember if I, if I wrote a thing about it or if I, I proposed it on a podcast. And I had so many people mad. And I, I just said, like, the, the big assumption has seemed to be that, like, people expect Wentz to not only be back to, to his, his previous form but also be better and stronger. And like, ha- has it happened in the past? Sure, um, but there's there's not necessarily a guarantee that the guy is going to be quite the same player. Like, if if there's even that slight um, that slight bit of hesitation in any of his moves, or he's he's overthinking, mm-hmm. he's not just playing by instinct, then he's not the same player. Now, physically, he might look it, it if he's rolling out, if he's feeling the uh, feeling the blitz or whatever. Like, then that's fine. Like, yeah, he's gonna look like a similar player, but like mentally. If he's at the end of a game or the 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 line is breaking down, like you kind of have to worry. Like, does he start to kind of shield that knee at all? Now, there was an encouraging clip uh, before I think it was the second preseason game where he had taken a snap. He actually slipped on the turf, got right back up, and like and threw a bomb like forty five yards or I something. I think that was and, last week. I think that was before the Browns. Was it last week? Yeah. And they yeah. and they were saying like that was a really encourage. Yeah, that was right. It was uh it was Fox right. It was uh was it Aikman and Buck. I think maybe yeah, I don't remember. And then Doug, uh, Doug I haven't really said I'm, that he didn't see it, but you know what it is, yeah, Russ. It's going to be like it's it going to be with with Wentz. It's like the same thing that with that it was with Joel Embiid last year, where you know every time he hits the ground, <laughs> or every time uh, you know he he you know somebody clatters into him under the basket, you're going to kind of wince a little bit. You know, you're going to kind of recoil a little bit and just say, "Yeesh," you know, let's try to cut down on that, but. You know, the, the reality is that he's going to have to go through that no matter what. So you'd like to just see... Just have to trust the process. <laughs> yeah, right. Kinda, yeah, but yeah. honestly, you'd like to... This sounds kind of dumb, but you'd like to see... I'd like to see Carson take a big hit early in oh, the first you. game he comes back you. because you got, you're going to have to get it out of the way. I mean, we're, we're That's all going to be sitting there for it. That's oh. how we lost our... Ke- That's how uh, how everyone had to explain to their children why they were getting rid of their Kevin Cobb jersey because he took that ex- one big yeah. hit from behind. Was it Clay Matthews, right? Face so. into the dirt. He goes face first. That's it. That was a collarbone? Well, that thing. was kind of a... So, yeah. That was a, yeah. Well, Carson yeah, takes a big hit I'm in saying, week man, one. It's, it's like not, this Kevin Kincaid guy. But you mm. can't... But I mean, it's not like people were going to watch and beat all of last year thinking that he was just going to go 75% the whole time to protect, uh, you know, you know his, in, his, the foot entire, and back well, and his entire body. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to fishing for one one injury, and I decided to lump them all together. But yeah, I mean that's what it is, man. I mean, people got to look further down the road and say, hey, he's the quarterback of the future. He got plenty of good years ahead, and hopefully, if the Super Bowl win does anything, it kind of you know it makes people take a step back a little bit, and we just get away from the knee jerk Adelphia thing, you know, where it's like one you win one game, they're the best team of all time. You lose one game, everybody's got to be fired and their shit. So you know, I just hope people have have grown up a little bit with the Super Bowl win. It's kind of like you're hoping that the Eagles are gonna, the Eagles fans are gonna become like the rest of the Philadelphia sports fan base. I, I, I don't know how you feel about the yeah, rest of the teams and sp- their fan bases, but like I, I think Eagles fans are like, you know, it's a championship-starved group. Like you get it, but to me, it's like it, it's often been like the most annoying. I know people think that the Flyers fans are the most annoying because they, they wear like rose-colored glasses and all that, and and some of that's fair. Hmm. But like, well, I, they get I, if they always, I think Flyers fans get very territorial and like very parochial, and you know are 
very defensive of their team or, or the fact if anybody you know criticizes them or if they perceive that they, they're not getting enough coverage or stuff like that but I don't know if I don't know if people would say the Flyers fans are not like you know intelligent as far as understanding the game or like knowing advanced concepts of ice hockey I think you know when you talk about Eagles fans and the way that they approach it and the knee-jerk kind of reaction to it I, I see more similarities with the Phillies fan who maybe you know, thinks of old time baseball and was sort of anti analytics and Gabe Kapler or whatever. And now I think, I think you see this generational shift where there's really a clash in Philadelphia where a lot of the younger kids who are coming through, um, you know, just are not the WIP and 97 five type of listener or thinker, you know, I, I think that's more Eagles and it's and a Phillies. generational thing. Yeah. Versus yeah. Sixers and union and flyers, I think, which trend a little bit younger. I don't know. Maybe yep. I'm wrong, but that's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, you're what, right. Um, what, you're right. Do you have any other what, – what else with the Eagles, or did you want to talk about the Sixers non, non I like, GM? I like jumping around a little bit. The, um, let's jump around until until we uh, think if there's anything else talk, about the Eagles. Do you want to talk Phils? That's your kind of thing, I guess, right? I don't yeah, know. Bob on here. Yeah, I, I, look, the, the Phillies are in free fall, and none of this is entirely surprising. Like, especially the, – the thing is, like, the people who haven't listened to Bob and Anthony on Crossed Up all season – seem to have been blindsided by this and there's been so much kool-aid drinking by you know numerous people who were on the radio who i think were trying to you know early on in the season they never really came out against gabe kapler and then when things started to kind of trend the right way it was kind of like oh well i always believed in the guy and and everybody was you know it was it was kind of those rose-colored glasses the flyers fans handed them over to the phillies for a while but like there there have been glaring weaknesses on this team and when you compare offensively like what the mets have been I think in the last two months to what the Phillies have been like, they're essentially the same team. And so like when you, when you kind of stack these things up, like the Phillies just kind of overachieved and they overachieved in a way that it was, it was like, it's not that they were necessarily lucky in games, but things were breaking the right way for them earlier in the season. It's just not happening now. And you know, I I've, I've said it all season. I'll continue to say it. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm right. So I'm, I'm going to keep saying it, but like the idea of, of signing Carlos Santana was flawed from the get go. And the fact that Reese Hoskins is out in left field, where I think as of yesterday, Bob had tweeted they they uh, are worst in the major league at left field with a negative 22 defensive run saved. Mm-hmm. When I wrote up a thing like a while ago about Reese Hoskins and about J.D. Martinez and about Carlos Santana, I had all these people telling me, well, J.D. Martinez has, Lid, has had Liz Frank issues. He couldn't play out in the outfield. You never knew if he was going to come here. The Red Sox were a better you know, organization, a better chance to win, yada, yada, yada. Well, it's like you know, money eventually is the thing that talks. And the Red Sox built plenty of things and contingencies into that contract to like you know, give themselves an out after a year or two, I think at worst, with Martinez. And it's like, that's a guy whose bat you could have used in this lineup. And, and like Santana, you know, want to talk about analytics, you know, the, the guys who go on Twitter who are defending every Gabe Kapler move and every, every single signing that's been made, like Santana has not had a great season. I don't, I don't care what metric you want to go by you know the guy gets on base because he walks well that's great mm-hmm. but when i think about what a first baseman is right and and maybe it's a little bit skewed because of what ryan howard was but i think of somebody who's going to produce runs and i'm not thinking of a guy who i just want to walk like joey Votto was a really good first baseman the guy could walk but he would also crush the ball he'd also hit for a high average santana's not doing enough good things to justify having sent reese hoskins to the outfield right and right. that kind of they kind of put them, it sort of pigeonholed them in a way where like there were probably bats available in the outfield that they could have gone after, but you're not going to sit Carlos Santana on the bench to move Reese Hoskins back to first to go out and acquire that outfielder. Now, all that said, they, they go out and they, they acquire uh, Jose Bautista from the Mets 
And like, it's, it's kind of like a nominal move. Like it's going to be a pinch hitter, an occasional start. And like, ultimately, I don't think it really pushes the needle all that much. It gives them somebody who, you know, used to be a threat to crush the ball. And he's, he's been better in the last month or so. He hit, he hit the skids for a while, but like, he's kind of rebounded more recently. I think he's got close to an 800 OPS. Like these are all, all good things for the Phillies, but like, realistically, this isn't a team that's supposed to compete. This isn't a team that deserves to win the division. And ultimately, they're not a team that, that really is a threat in the National League. So all these people who have been like running around for the last, you know, month or two saying, you know, Phillies, oh, they, you know, they're, they're one big acquisition away from going to the World Series. Well, they're not. And mm-hmm. and they never, they never necessarily were. Like, I, I thought they should have, con- you know, pursued Cole Hamels. Bob and I were at, at odds about it. But, you know, Cole Hamels has been lights out for the Cubs. But, you know, I think you and I have kind of talked about this thing in the past. Like, there's no way to be able to quantify what a guy is going to be able to do on your team versus what he ends up doing for the team he's traded to. Yeah, it's not fair to yeah. say that, like, Manny Machado's struggles early for the Dodgers would have translated the same way for the Phillies. Well, you can't exactly say the same thing about Cole Hamels. Maybe he would have been mediocre. Maybe he would have been this lights-out ace that he's been for the Cubs. You just don't know. But the Phillies just aren't, they're not one piece away. They're multiple pieces away. And they're ahead of schedule, and it's okay. But people just got their hopes up way too early. Yeah. Way, way, way too yeah, early. I mean, it just seems like the classic case of where there wasn't much expected from the team. You know, they go out and overachieve. People get their hopes up, and then, you know, they kind of regress to the norm. And it's not to say that when you look back at it, assuming they continue on this trend and they don't, you know, say they narrowly miss out on the wild card or something like that, I, I hope people can look at the whole body of work and say, all right, well, this team is, you know, in still in a decent spot. You know, I, I don't – you know, this team was dreck for years, and they took a lot of good steps this year. Um, there's a lot of good things to be positive about, you know, going into next year and the, and the year after that. But um, I don't want people to go too far ahead and then pull back and, like, over-correct with the way that they view yeah. this team, you know? Um, they're three I, and I a half out of the division. They're two and a half out of the wild card. You yeah. got the Dodgers ahead of you. Like, the Dodgers are, are a better team yeah, overall. I mean, you, you ask they're, anybody, they're equal on record right now. Like You, you ask anybody at the beginning of the year if you thought that on what is it august 28th right now that they'd be where they are and i don't i mean of course not no nobody would have said that so you know i know it's now's not the time to hear about when they're not playing well to to you know just slow it down and say hey we should be thankful for where they're at right now but fact of the matter is this is this is what we identified at the beginning of the season and you know the push came early and now they're they're coming back to to where they're supposed to be really yeah Let's uh, talk about Los Sixers, the uh, the team that you cover so magnificently on the beat for CrossingBroad.com. Oh, you, yeah. And I don't, wanna, a, I don't want people to think that I'm like, you know, I don't like write about baseball for the site. Mostly, number one, because Bob, that's like Bob's specialty, you know? And so like yeah. he handles all of it and I'm fine with that. I have no issue with it. Um, but I also don't like, you know, I, I've, you know, trying to cram as much Sixers and Eagles and Union stuff into my head as at the same time. It's not like I'm, it's like I'm anti-baseball. It's not like I don't like want to write about that. I just like feel like I have my hands full of the other stuff, and so I just leave it to to Bob to to do those kinds of things. You know, it's not anything more complicated than that. But people have asked me like, why don't you write about the Phillies? Do you hate the Phillies or something? No, it's not. It's not. Yes, true at Kevin all. hates <laughs> the Phillies. He's actually <laughs> jealous of the Phillies for all the attention they've gotten because the Union have never gotten that attention. This well, all I comes back to, clear, to I just wanted to clear that up for oh, because okay. I get that question sometimes. This is a real thing. Like, do you do you not like baseball or are you like anti? But I'm just like no, it's not. It's the same with like ice hockey. Like Anthony comes in and does all the flyer stuff, so I don't like. I feel like we're we're good there, so I don't really feel like I have I have more to add. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
I always get this. Uh, I I also get the tag of hating baseball. I'm like, it's you not. Do? It's just I don't. Yeah, and I I don't like anytime. I haven't written many things about baseball for the site because uh, you know the last time I did, we we got in like a three day standoff about do we put the thing back up or not. So, um, oh yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know. It's it's like yeah. it's like it's like a whole thing where I'm like. You know, when when the Phillies are good, like, yeah, I enjoy baseball. I just, I, I can't wrap my head. And anybody who listens to this that has kids will understand, like, you only get so many hours of, of TV time at night. And for me to sit down and, like, it's almost 10 o'clock. I don't know what, what the current score is right now or what inning it's in. But on most nights, you hit 9, 9.30, 9.45, and it's still, like, the sixth or seventh inning. That's not a good way for me to spend my night. It's just not. And like, it's unfortunate. And, you know, we can argue about pacing of baseball and about a pitch clock and all that. But like, you know, we talk about the the changing demographics and the the changing landscape of of age for each of these sports. Like baseball, to me, the only thing that will save baseball and make baseball interesting to younger generations is sports gambling and sports betting and, and live prop bets as things are happening. Like that, to me, is the way to kind of connect back with that audience, that that audience who's like, end of end of high school now you know over the next couple of years as as pennsylvania maybe pulls the head out of their collective rear end and and you know bring sports betting to the state you know that was a thing on on the site was it today yesterday yeah um yeah. about you know the the exorbitant cost to uh to apply for for a license in the state so like yeah over the next few years next i don't know three four like maybe baseball will see a resurgence in in terms of maybe not attendance but in tv ratings because you know, I think that is a sport that you could you could bet on heavily and microtransaction kind of bet. And like I could see that kind of, you know, revitalizing the game a bit, but wouldn't it be somewhat hypocritical for a sport that, you know, has had so many black eyes because of sports gambling, you know, notably Pete Rose, that the thing that could possibly bring it back is the thing that they've often tried to distance themselves from. So Yeah, well that's one I, thing. I, I mean and I that's know. a whole yeah, it's a whole two hour pod side podcast on its own, you know. But like I just I, I I love playoff baseball just as much as the playoffs, probably more than the playoffs in most other sports. Um, because in, in, a, in, you know, shorter amount of games, uh, the, the nuance of baseball strategy is just amplified tenfold, you know, and it just makes you yeah. appreciate every pitching change or every personnel decision more so than you would over 162 regular season games. Cause it just gets watered down. You know, if there was a way to cut it from 162 to one, 54 and extend the playoffs a little bit uh i would do that in a second i know people would bitch about you know a bunch of crappy teams losing some home gains and some revenue but guess what man you're if if you can't make it work with 150 or 154 or something like that uh then that's your problem but like i said podcast for another time so that was we got back into the Phillies. Let's talk about the uh, Sixers really quick. So they're yeah. they're not gonna hire a gm i think we're we're pretty confident about that at this point they the word got out that they uh, refuse to compromise. Uh, they want elite talent. I don't know if you think the Daryl Morey thing was ever real. Um, R.C. Buford was a name that was mentioned really early on in the in the, uh, the offseason as somebody who might be looking to leave San Antonio knowing that Popovich is likely done after 2019, 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm, if I'm the Sixers at this point, having a GM, I don't think is that important. Um, the collective concept that I think they've been going with and working collaboratively and kind of going think tank model, you know, once you miss out on all of the big free agents this off season, which I kind of want to come back around to in a minute, like when you, when you have this whole thing settled now, like you missed out on everybody and your first round pick that you made a, a nice trade for to get another first round pick 
is now hurt. And your team hasn't necessarily gotten all that much better. Yeah, but who People really want to argue you, that? Who, but like, who really did you miss out on? Paul George was staying in Oklahoma City apparently from the start, right? Yep. LeBron sounds like he never really considered any anything else in Los Angeles, right? Yep. Um, and then what? Presumably, you didn't trade the you know mortgage the future for a Kawhi rental. That's that's another one. Yeah. So I, 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 I look at it. I look at it like this. Kevin. Say, I just take a little bit of issue with people saying, "Well, they totally missed out this summer because it's like two of the guys pretty much had their mind made up of where they wanted to be, and we don't know the details of what what a Kawhi trade would have been. And I I think at the end of the day, uh, a superstar might have put you over the top for sure. But I, it's it's hard to say that. I, I don't. I guess what I'm trying to say is you can't. Nobody is ever going to know how much uh, Brett Brown and the structure, the front office structure, is going to be to blame for that. You know, like did they not try hard enough? Did they not put enough effort in? Could could they have called the agent three more times or four more times? You can't like quantify or qualify the amount of effort it would have taken to get those guys theoretically if we don't if we don't know that they, you know, if we assume that they were never considering going anywhere else in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so look, th- like these I can are some court, of the I can court, well, here, I can court Kim Kardashian year after year after year, and 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 good she for you. Would never, who um, I don't even really think is that hot. By the way, she kind of weirds me out. That's just the first name that came to mind, probably because my wife was watching the um, the Kardashians downstairs before I came up to do this. But I like, feel so bad for I you. I could talk to her like every single day, and I could do the best damn job like of all time trying to like get her to like go out on a date, you know, in Fishtown or something. But she's going with Kanye no matter what. So do you can how much like blame or how how much responsibility do I get for that? You know what I mean? Yeah. So then let me give you a few names of people that I was kind of bummed out they missed on. This one people will roll their eyes at. You're not going to say Jamal Crawford, are you? No, no. I wrote the thing up. Okay. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins signed a five. $5.3 $5.3 million deal this offseason. Can't play with I'm not Joel. Saying that, can't play with Joel. Hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. So right, I, I don't necessarily your, agree with that. I, okay. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Um, but as a as a guy who signed a $5 million deal who said literally no other teams in the league had reached out or returned any kind of interest, I think that's just a poor decision by any team that didn't at least kick the, uh, kick the tires around with DeMarcus. You know, I think that because of Joel's propensity for wanting to go out and kind of play as a perimeter player offensively, you know, we often criticize him for, you know, not getting himself established in the low block. Like, if that's what you want to do, I mean, there is a blueprint that existed there with DeMarcus Cousins playing off of Anthony Davis. Now, Anthony Davis, I would say, is more athletic. He's he's his lateral quickness is is a lot better, I would say, than Joel's. But like there, there is a way to make that work. If nothing else, knowing the guy probably wouldn't be back till February, like that's a heck of a a second center to bring in off the bench or somebody to get some you know legitimate front court minutes to to kind of keep Joel fresh at the end of the season. Like that to me would have been a, an intelligent move. Julius Randle didn't sign a terrible deal. Nine million a year isn't that bad. Now I don't know how Ju- how great I think Julius Randle is, but I think we knew that Rashawn Holmes was probably going to be parted with. He would have been somebody that I think would have at least been worth a look. Um, the the other name that I guess you know kind of jumps off to me, and it's somebody that I think would have helped this team exponentially, is Trevor Ariza, who ends up signing with Phoenix, which is like yeah a, a good young team, but they're not going to challenge for anything. So he he got fifteen million this year, right? You had cap space, you could have gone out theoretically and gotten him, but they had so many eggs in the LeBron basket 
And I guess, you know, presumably in the Paul George basket, or they thought there was a chance, or in the uh, Kawhi Leonard basket, that, you know, Ariza signed pretty quickly. And to me, like, when I think of the two things that the Sixers, you know, were killed with, it was consistent three-point shooting in the playoffs, and it was wing defense. And Ariza helps you in both of those a ton. And the fact that, you know, it's it was a one-year commitment. Like, that to me, if I had gone into this offseason and I had, you know, utilized my my resources in having relationships with agents and other front office people you had to know that that there was enough momentum of lebron going to la you would hope that you would have been able to to you know ascertain that from discussions with agents if if you knew that you didn't have as great of a shot at one of these big guys there is no shame in having trevor ariza and J.J. Redick as your two free agent guys if you make that decision swiftly at the start of free agency instead it it looked like you got caught with your pants down, and there's nothing you know. There's nothing left for you. I don't, I don't think and that to me is. Like, I don't think it that, looked like that they to got, me is is where the problem was. It didn't look like they got caught with their pants down though. They brought in Chandler. Or they were like left at the altar. Well, I mean, I, but what were Ch- the expectations? Chandler was like, a guy. We, we all like like what did did we? I think everybody overvalued you know how attractive the Sixers were. They're not the Lakers. They're not the Rockets. Not the Warriors, you know, like other teams also have exciting young talent coming through. Ariza went to a Suns team that has a lot of exciting young players playing there, you know. With Zaire Smith and Wilson Chandler, the I guess the Sixers felt like they had enough perimeter defense and upside there that they felt like they were okay going up against Boston. And then Markel Fultz being the total X factor. I just to bring it back to the GM thing, I just I just don't know I don't I don't I think people were saying it's like boom or bust with either you get one of these big name guys or, or one of the people you're saying or else it's a total failure. I don't think the offseason was a total failure. I mean, he brought Reddick back for half the price. Uh, I don't know why they brought Amir Johnson back, honestly. Um, but you didn't need Because Justin he won Anderson. teammate of the year. Didn't you watch the NBA awards? <laughs> or, or Come on, hustle, hustle player, hustler of the year or some shit. I didn't even know that existed. Um, they brought Reddick back. Oh, you're right. That, yeah, he was a hustler. It was Jamal Crawford was the teammate of the year. Sign him. Listen. The, Bring him the in. Thing with, 20 points a game. Thing with, I, think, not real. I think half of this is uh, has to do with Josh Harris and his recent history. And if you look at what happened with the way that Sam Hinkie's tenure ended, you look at what happened with the way that Brian Colangelo's tenure ended, Harris is probably feeling like he got burned twice in recent years, twice in two years, three years, with the way that those things ended. So I, I think for him, he looks at Brett Brown – he looks at Ned Cohen and Mark Eversley and Elton Brand and Alex Rucker, and he just says, you know what, maybe this isn't you know, the future for us necessarily. Maybe we can still land a, you know, a, I don't know, a, a Moray or something, something like that, or we'll see what happens in San Antonio after you know, Manu Ginobili and Kawhi and, and Pop after that era, you know, um, and we can kick the can down the road. But I, I just think he's looking for stability more than anything. You know, I don't think he feels like he has to go out and do something right away and bring somebody in because he's gotten burned on the last two guys he brought in. I mean, you could argue I mean, an argument whether he got burned with Hinky or not based on, you know, the talent that he brought to, to town. But, you know, the way with the NBA getting in, involved with that and, you know, sort of forcing the Colangelo thing on him or whatever, maybe he's saying, you know, what, fuck it. Like, I'm comfortable with what we have now. I think we're OK now. And I just want stability more than anything. I said from the beginning, you know this, that like I asked Brett Brown straight up. I asked him at the press conference. I said, Brett, at the Brian Colangio press conference, I said, at the end of the day, you know, what, what's a free agent making his decision on? It's probably based on how much money is available and it's who else is around him. 
you know, I don't think Trevor Ariza gave a flying crap who the general manager of the Suns was. You know, he got to, a chance to go play with uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Mikael Bridges and, you know, a, a young, exciting team there, you know. So I don't, I don't, I think the GM thing is important, but I don't think it's as important as everybody thinks it is. It's just that the optics of, of not bringing somebody in when this team is primed to take a next big step forward, I think that's why you're seeing kind of like the, the disconnect and the discord there with the fan base saying, oh, this is friggin' terrible, when I really don't think it's it's all that terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know. I, I think the way that you approach it is is a much more the key was still rational, be, but, like a, well, a, a more rational, I guess, kind of take. Look, I, I'm not saying beat, that it's the beat writer the take, just trying to look at both sides of it, because the, the big whether you land LeBron or Kawhi or whatever this year, say you did the three biggest and most important things for you were still going to be number one is Embiid. Can Embiid stay healthy and improve in year number three? Can Ben Simmons develop a jump shot? And can number and number three, can Markel faults do anything you know it was still going to be about the the in-house growth within the program no matter if you added one of those guys or not because one of those guys was not going to get you over the hump I still don't think you know adding Kawhi to this team is an automatic you know go to the east go to the finals and compete with the Warriors I, I disagree I don't I don't at all I don't, I don't think, know if I don't they would have competed Kawhi, with the Warriors but Mark, he would have no you know, he would have made them the favorite in the east well yeah but you're still but you know, you you just looking at that on paper. Nobody knows anything about Ben Simmons' jump shot. Nobody knows anything about Markel Fultz. And what if Embiid has another injury? I know you could play the what if theoretical game yeah, with okay. everything, but I just I just think that people were undervaluing how important the in house year to year growth of of you know the the quote unquote core was going to be this year. Yeah, I don't think you're totally wrong. I I do think that you're kind of undervaluing what Kawhi would have brought to the team. I mean, like an, on a on a on just in in terms of you know he he filled every every single need now no, I, I, I guess I know. you know i look i said early in the offseason the off was a, people wanted a big jump they wanted a huge jump yeah and, they're and, not, they, and that's they're, why you're gonna there are there are worse things I, I know that people are disappointed but at the end of the day there are worse things you can do than run it back with a 52 win team you know I guess, but I I don't exactly think that you know, obviously like sixteen games at the end of the season is not a sustainable pace, right? To uh, to go on win streaks. No, I mean, and I mean you, the, figure, you figure out the you figure that they're probably going to the, the back end schedule is yeah. a little tougher this year, and and so it's not going to be like that illusion of you know they're Which not going to be mowing, like that, mowing that's down good to test you. mowing down like tanking cupcakes for the for the better part of uh, you know the end of March and into April. You know, so it's it's probably yeah. going to be a better. Um, what am I trying to say? Like a more a more accurate representation, I think, of what you're going to see in the playoffs. You know, no, you're probably right. It's just I, I look if if Ben Simmons ha- shows a willingness to shoot, a willingness not not that he's going to be a great shooter, just a willingness to present it so that a defense cannot just inherently sag off him. That that's going to be big. That's going to be big for this team next year. If if Markel Fultz looks anything like the player they thought they were going to draft. Then the offseason is no longer what I would consider to be at at best mediocre and at worst a flop. Well, he's like the right? what's the cliche that everybody's throwing around? Like he's he's like the free agent signing, you know. Like he he's like adding another free agent to the squad, you know. Yeah, assuming that he's good. But then and you if get he's not, another, but then he see, here's the thing: say Fultz knows what he's doing, then you get into the same dilemma that you were at the beginning of last year. Where it's like, can you play him off the ball, and where does he fit in the starting lineup? 
<laughs> that's the bigger thing. Like that's the thing that I think so many people are just kind of good. It's yeah. it's like an unsaid thing. Is everybody th- seems to think that like oh well you know what if if Markel's good and Markel can shoot then he's obviously going to be the starting two guard and like I'm not convinced because I I still don't know if those two can play together and I'm not so sure that a lineup where like Ben Simmons isn't the primary ball handler yeah. isn't the worst thing in the world like and JJ Redick was that, a big part of that offense last year and they called a lot yeah. of plays for him and it's not just like plug plug and play if you see a little bit from Markel I mean he's he's not the same player at all um so I'm interested to see what what, what Brett does with that too and whether he you know quote unquote opens the playbook or whether he can do more things with his, his starting five coming back you know well let's let's assume for a second okay let's let's say that the Markel is actually a decent shooter and his ball handling is not limited to him you know driving into traffic into three bodies and losing the ball off his shin okay like let's let's just say or or there's like you know 30 attempts at a spin move that's deep in the post and a center you know blocks every layup attempt Mm. so let's just imagine he's a dynamic player that we expected him to be i think that we're going to be in a situation where like theoretically you could play Fultz and jj in the backcourt and then that kind of leaves this weird area where like Obviously, Ben is going to have to play one of the forward spots, and Joel ends up playing center. But, like, who who gets replaced in the starting lineup? You know, like, does Dario kind of fit in at the four and Ben kind of plays like a like an off-ball three? Well, they could do that. Are we, looking at, are we looking at Covington? Like, well, I, well, they're going to have I, to I'm, stagger some of those backup power forward minutes, too, because they got burned with the, the Manuel Lita thing, you know? So yeah. I mean, they bring in Mascala, who played more as a, who played as a five, backing up Deadman, I guess last year in uh, Atlanta. So it's not like I mean, you know, you know as, as much as I do that Brett likes that, you know, the European stretch four who can shoot the three pointer or whatever. And with Dario and Ursan last year, it made a ton of sense. But now, what are you looking at this year? Dario and Mascala there, Jonah Bolden. I mean, do you move Covington down to the four? Have Ben, like you're saying, maybe play some power forward minutes and that lets you get Markel uh have the ball in his hands like they would do with McConnell last year where McConnell would come in and play point guard and then Ben would go down to power forward for a little bit and you could have Redick at a shooting guard at the same time so that's the thing they do have I just a lot think of Ben I just think you know? this this team is so much more dangerous with Ben out of the post yeah. I really do believe yeah. that I mean and when he's down there because, and I mean can go when he's to the to the you know, to the three-point line and, and, you know, spread the floor a little bit. You don't necessarily Bingo. sacrifice a ton of rebounding because Simmons is a six-foot-ten, quote-unquote, point guard. So, yeah, they, I'm, the, the point of all that is, like like you said, they they just have a ton of Or even of he lines up at the elbow. Like, you're you're not going to sag off him at the elbow. But when yeah. he's when he's bringing the, the ball down, like, you know that he's not going to take, like, an 18-foot jumper, yeah, right? So, like, yeah, exactly. And I think his vision and everything, his vision and ability to whip the ball around to anywhere on the court, like, that is so valuable from where he would be initiating the offense. And and if that kind of allows Fultz to, you know, early on in the season to kind of get his feet underneath him mm. and, and get used to having the ball in his hand, like, I have to imagine that Ben could be a good off-ball cutter. I have to think that, like, the way that this offense could be the most dynamic is is with the ball maybe in Markel's hands and, and Ben really just kind of throwing defenses off. I mean, you're not talking about massive mismatches. You know, we think that it's, it's one thing for Ben to kind of, you know, take advantage of point guards just by virtue of the the size you know disparity but like ben playing against wings could be an incredible offensive advantage for them and if if worse comes to worse and he plays the four his quickness is just his quickness and athleticism are going to take him next well, level i don't know well, i let me, i think that's better than rolling out robert covington again and i know yeah. a lot of people love him but like i i don't see it and i love dario but i i don't think that dario is you know 
a starting player on a championship team. I think Dario is a very good player. I think that for the role that Dario plays, you know, he's a guy who in a San Antonio system probably is your first or second guy off the bench. And I don't think there's any, any shame in that. I, I just like, I think people kind of overvalue to a sense, like what, what Dario is on this team. And they, they seem to think that like after two more years of, of big minutes at the four that like, you know, he's going to become this, not a transcendent four, but like, somebody who who goes from being you know a first or second guy off the bench to like being this you know top top 10 power forward in the league and i, I don't see it uh let me give you some dates here september 18th uh is going to be the media lunch that they do every year and then the media day is going to be on the 21st and camp is going to start on the 22nd um so that's day one of training camp september 22nd it'll be the day before uh the day before the colts game so we are yeah, like three weeks, a little more than three weeks away. I don't even know what that's the twenty eighth. Yeah, three weeks and two days or something like that. So yeah, and the Flyers will be starting up sooner uh, rather than yeah, later. Man. Did you have any? Were there any Flyers points that we needed to? Yeah, yeah, Flyers, man. And, Come on now. Come on now. Uh, so Flyers. Uh, what are our? What are a little bit? A little bit of what? No, what are what, what? are our our lines looking like at, at this point? Are we is are we thinking that Claude Giroux is going to play? On the wing, he's gonna play left wing. He well, we hope he's gonna play left wing. Anthony, I've been talking about this with Sean Couturier's injury and not really knowing what it is. Anthony seems to think it's a meniscus, doesn't think it's a ligament tear. Um, You know, you kind of have to think that Nolan Patrick is gonna take the top line center minutes at least in the early going, which creates this massive void at center as you kind of work your way down. Who's your second? Does Jordan wheel? Well. I mean, it, it's kind of more of a of a down the roster thing. Like, does Jordan Wheel kind of convert to to center to kind of man the fourth line? You, you would kind of think that Scott Lawton might might jump up. We've we've kind of talked about like what's going to happen roster depth wise on on the wing with like you still have Wayne Simmons here. You sign JVR to play essentially the same role. You think that JVR is probably going to take a lot of the power play minutes that Simmons might have been accustomed to having. You know, does Wayne Simmons like playing on the third line? These are all kind of things that we've been talking about. Plus, you have a goalie conundrum once again. Like, you know that Michael Neuvirth can't stay healthy. Jake Elliott's kind of hit or miss on that. He's likely going to catch a knock at some point this season. Um, Alex Lyon, who had a 94-save performance for the Phantoms and was up for, I think it was 11 games last year, um, is actually going to be on our next episode of Snow the Goalie. Uh, Anthony went down to Voorhees and interviewed him, and it was actually actually very good. And and, um, Alex was, was really interesting, especially... Uh, with a lot of off ice stuff, talked about uh, his, his going back for his degree at some point. Uh, Game of Thrones came up, which I was bummed that I couldn't be there for uh, that interview because yeah. when uh, is that coming you know, back? I love, anyway, like I love the Thrones. Five years from now or something. Yes. Yeah, so, well, Next so year, it was interesting. The uh, I was I was I was just watching the thing about it. So so the um, the visual effects director had said that he didn't think that the uh, the show was going to be done in time or all the visual effects were going to be done in time for the uh, the show to make the 29 I guess it would be the 2019 um, Emmys cut which the cutoff date for that is May 31st and HBO almost immediately after kind of dropped word through um, I think it was Entertainment Weekly that said all episodes will be out in consideration for Emmys so it sounds like the first episode could drop as late as uh, April twenty second of twenty nineteen, and if that's the huh. case, uh, that that'll be nice. Okay. It's uh, right, it's something that I've I've kind of kept my kept my uh, my head out of Thrones because you know you have it, you're so used yeah. to it, and then when yeah. it's gone, it's just it kind of feels yeah, like there's a little little piece yeah, of it that's missing. Yeah, I went missing. down a Peaky Blinders rabbit hole for a little bit, and then kind of cooled off that cooled off on that. 
And now I'm good? just, I basically just watch whatever my wife has on, on TV at any given moment, which is like any combination of Kardashians, uh, the real housewives, um, below deck, I think is another one of them. Uh, whatever, so whatever Andy you. Cohen shows are on, uh, E, but I don't really, I don't like pay attention to him. You know, I'm just sort of like sitting there like doing other stuff or whatever, but she's like on the couch watching TV or whatever. But because of that, I could, pr- I could probably tell you, I could probably name every housewife from every uh, like location of the show, you know? So I've gone down this like awful rabbit hole about, um, the bachelor and bachelor or bachelorette and bachelor in paradise oh, now. On, and my wife, you. my wife hates my wife. Hate, like she, she was so opposed to it. And I, I thought it was a stupid it, show. Watch it. No, well, so listen, yeah, kind of. So uh, we were both opposed to it, and then The Bachelorette came out, and I'm like, oh, this is the one that, like, the dude broke her heart because, like, he proposed, and then he, like, took it back. And so, like, historically, the only thing that I would ever watch would be, like, the After the Final Rose because it's all the people kind of, like, going off on each other about, like, you were jerks or you were terrible. Like, the Discord and the drama at the end. Yeah, I love the Discord. So then, so then I saw that she was The Bachelorette. I was like, oh, okay, you know what? She actually seems like a not terrible human being. She doesn't seem like, like a like a ditz so like let's go with that and then i ended up enjoying the season and my wife kind of got into it a little bit so then like bachelor in paradise you know we were like ah, i don't know do we watch it my wife's like of yeah. course we're not going to watch it and i'm like well you know what there's some pretty funny personalities why don't we put it on so i'm now like keeping up with bachelor in paradise which is actually on right now and we'll, uh, we'll have to get a and she is we'll not we'll have to so. get an update uh bachelor we're gonna update start a po- <laughs> let's We'll start a podcast. Crossing bachelors. Uh, ba- speaking of Discord, I wanted to I wanted uh, to make sure I brought up this story about the uh, the fake Nazi wrestler that um that uh, we've been doing on the site. I think people are kind of over it, and I'm like done with it as well. But I just wanted to like wrap it up and put a bow on it because the school district, I guess, uh, came out a while back and said the dude's going to keep his job and f- they're not going to punish him or whatever. Which I think made a lot of sense because it's not like the dude's a f- Nazi. He just like. Play, plays a character on the side but it's my whole take was like it's probably not like a good idea to dress up as a nazi if you're a school teacher whether you're fake you know just acting in a wrestling promotion or not and in case you haven't heard the story it's this boyertown dude who teaches sixth grade at Springford, and uh he was in like a small wrestling promotion where he dressed up as this guy named blitzkrieg the german juggernaut <laughs> and, he, and he like comes out on the you know walks into the arena like holding a flag with the iron cross on and he's throwing like this which did start in 1813 by the way the iron cross wasn't just like necessarily you know instituted by the nazis i mean it was was a centuries old thing but he didn't like come out with a swastika but stole things from like norse mythology the sun wheel and stuff like that too but so the point being this guy comes in he throws like you know the the hitler salute and stuff like that and i'm like okay you know maybe it's that's a little much people are like throwing it back at him in the crowd and i'm like "I i don't think those people are kidding you know but I like people were like arguing this this with me, and I'm like, you know, the funny thing about writing for the website is that like whenever I do anything that has any kind of opinion, or if there's like a column I write or something, like anything like with the national anthem or whatever, like half of the readers think I'm like a liberal loser, and the other half think I'm like some right wing, um, like Dorcas or something. And I'm like, I'm like trying That's to say you're doing it right. <laughs> well, I'm like, are you not allowed to be like a moderate in 2018 now? Like you're either like one thing or the other. But uh, like I I think I'm pretty much down the middle, but you know, with the Nazi wrestler guy, people are like giving me these comparisons or saying, well, I mean, should we, you know, should all civil war reenactors at Gettysburg, you know, <clears throat> are they all Confederates who've, you know, kept slaves or whatever? I'm like, oh, no, it's not, it's not, that's not what I'm saying. That's like history. I'm just saying like, 
you know as well as anybody, you know, school teachers, you know, are just held to a different standard than other people, you know? And it's yep. generally a good idea to button up your private life and not let it bleed into your public sector taxpayer funded job you know because one of your sixth graders might see the video on crossingbroad.com of you throwing a hitler salute at a wrestling promotion and like at zerns in gilbertsville and you know go home and ask mom hey why is mr bean <laughs> i think it's funny because the guy's name is <laughs> the guy's name is kevin bean so his name is mr B the, mr bean <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bean in the classroom. Poor they go home to their, they go oh, home their mom geez. and say, "Hey, why is Mr. Bean throwing the Hitler salute at the wrestling promotion at Zern's?" And they say, "Well, shit, I don't know what you're talking about, Lucy, but uh, let me go look it up." So that's all that I'm saying. I'm not. I'm like, I, I watched. Yeah, I grew up watching WWF just like everybody. I saw the honky tonk man smash a guitar over Shawn Michaels' head or whatever, you know. But I knew he was faking it. I knew that he wasn't like, you know, <clears throat> doing it in the name of country music or something like that. So. I just I just find that ironic that people can't like people are having trouble making that distinction. When you're a school teacher, it's just different. You know, you're a, you're a public servant, you know, and you and you teach kids. It's probably you're held to a little bit of a different higher standard than if you were say a sports blogger. And I went out to um, you know Reading, the Santander Arena in Reading, and suplexed somebody through a table. You know what I mean? Yep, I I understand this uh, this pretty well. This is the only thing I'll say because people don't seem to understand just like how um, these things work. Like there is due process within a CBA. I don't remember if I explained this on a, on a previous show or not, but like due process is there. And, and ultimately I I think, and this is just a guess, I don't have any insight into this, but my guess would be that if you're arguing, you know, this pro wrestling thing, you would essentially try to make the case. At at least I would guess uh, they probably, (laughs) As part of due process, they probably had to get the PSEA rep in, which would be a Uniserve rep who makes, you know, over 100K uh, to come in mm-hmm. and essentially, like, litigate this thing. And ultimately, what I would I would guess happened is they decided that the wrestling persona is akin to that of an of a, a role in an acting uh, job. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, here, so here's a question. So, th- this, I guess, would kind of come back. So, I, th- the guy made uh, a bunch of stupid errors in this. Like, that's just something that you can't do. Um, the, the throwing the salute, I think is probably the, uh, the biggest, uh, egregious error in this entire thing. Um, I, I don't think the decision-making was all that great, um, in the entire thing, but, but this is the question that I would pose to the people who are so outraged. If this same guy had gone and, you know, worked his way, um, doing some kind of like networking and ended up on like, say an episode of man in the high tower, mm-hmm. right? Where it's this fictitious, uh, Nazis win World War II show, and he ends up playing like the new Obergruppenführer, right? And he's like playing this horrible role as like somebody who's committing, you know, genocide. Mm-hmm. Well, are, mm-hmm. are you going to think that that guy who happens to be like even in that show, like wearing a swastika and, you know, saying Heil Hitler, like if that guy is is playing that role, would you be upset? would you feel uncomfortable with your kid being in that classroom? And, and only that person, just, you know, who's yeah, answering it, it could, could decide. Yeah. So like, to me, that I think is the defense. I don't know if that's the defense they used. If it were, if it were me and I were advising this guy, um, that probably would have been the way that I would have gone. And I think that's ultimately like the school district, the, the amount of money it would have cost them to kind of litigate this yeah, thing yeah, yeah. into something like it would have ended up working out in like some kind of weird arbitration. I, it just wouldn't but have been like, worth it. I think like, is, like the guy's atoned for it. And like you could you could pick literally any persona 
<laughs> to, to play. You know, you could pick yeah. anything out there, any character, and like you come up with a Nazi. Like just, just that's like the one thing that you probably want to stay away from. You could do like you could be this. Could have been like Dwayne from Swedesboro. Could be, well, I that could have been. Might not have worked either. But you could be like this. Yeah, you could be the worked, Sandman, yeah. and you could smash beers on your face. You could do, uh, you know, Kane. Ooh, the, where the, the baker. Fire the baker. You get. You get the. Uh, the rolling pin yeah, out, you could smash be a, that. An evil ba- you could be a heel baker. You could the, be. Um, there was a the guy that you did the the liberal um, the the liberal agenda, right? Or that was his <laughs> his finisher, right? The guy who came out wearing yeah, the, the uh, Hawaiian shirt with Hillary Clinton's face all over goes it. Down and, to like West Virginia, and uh, he is his uh, finishing move is the liberal agenda. So it's just like a, like that's hilarious. <laughs> that's great. That's funny, but I don't know. Man, like, is somebody really gonna? Because look, you know, when when you're a teacher, one of the things that you're not allowed to do, I mean, it's it's pretty standard protocol in a school board policy is you're not supposed to really talk about politics. You're not supposed to be not like true. vocal about politics, even on social media. I think like if you're a school teacher, you could, maybe it's a you good could, idea not to be a wrestler on the side. Maybe that's just yeah. Like but I, but I'm, but it's like you know, if I, I don't know, if you go out and you and you like throw the liberal agenda and you're wearing Hillary Clinton on your shirt, I don't know, is somebody going to get offended? Like well, that, that you're spreading well, some yeah. kind of liberal propaganda well, in the no, classroom? Dude, like, I don't if, know. What if you had a guy were, from were there, West Virginia who came to Philadelphia, who came to like North Jersey and wore Donald Trump stuff on his uh, on his shirt, and his finisher <laughs> was the was the I don't know the conservative um, constitutionalist or something like that would. <laughs> <laughs> and so, it comes out he beats somebody uh, with a little like constitution or something. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I oh think the, I think the moral of the story, like to to tie a bow on this whole thing, is like oh, you know what? He, he like he hits a DDT, and the announcer says something like, "That's just unconstitutional." <laughs> right there, we go. There we go. The, yes, know, the, he's declared his independence from the oh faction. God, yeah, but I mean, I. You know, like I'm saying, it's probably just a bad idea, like, if you're a school teacher to do any of that shit. I, I, I hope that, like, parents are, like, smart enough and, like, have grown up enough that, like, in 2018, if you're a teacher at Springford and you want to go down the street to, like, the Trap Tavern or something and drink, like, a couple land sharks, that if you see a parent of a parent of one of your students there that they're not going to write a letter to the superintendent and say that Mr. Kincaid was drinking in his free time or whatever. I hope we've grown up beyond that. But... Like, I give credit to the school board, too, for saying, look, we're not going to fire the dude just because, like, some people were unhappy with it. Because that's kind of the default now. Like, you do one bad thing, people write angry emails or whatever, and everybody goes crazy on Twitter, and they get somebody fired, and they cheer for it, you know? And by all means, from everybody yep. who went and spoke at the school board meeting the other night, it sounded like this guy was a stand-up dude and a decent dude and a good teacher. And uh, he just said, hey, you know, maybe the Nazi wrestler wasn't a good idea. I'm not going to do it anymore. And we're going to move on, you know, and like, God forbid we have a rare case of like temperance where we kind of like take a step back and like make the right friggin' decision, you know? Yep. We started with the uh, Eagles fans kind of doing that. And now we, uh, uh we're well, talking I'd about you know, my, parents yeah, and school boards and all that. My so. favorite wrestler yeah. of all time too was, uh, was, uh, had to be Sabu by far. Oh man. ECW, ECW times. Yeah, back okay. in the 90s, man. Wow. And they came into WWF or whatever, which is when I, now like, that wasn't, that wasn't, and that I couldn't name, ECW like I've had people come up to me and be like, yeah, you should write about wrestling. Like you guys should do wrestling for crossing broad. I'm like, Dad, I, I can't, Heck name, yeah, I, man. I can't name it. Like, oh. I don't know who any of the dudes are now. Like Roman, Braun Strowman, Roman oh. Reigns, is he one of them? Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman. Yeah. I haven't oh, watched man, wrestling they, since Razor Ramon was, was doing the ladder match at SummerSlam. No, no. Kevin, let me catch you up on something that was awful in pro wrestling that happened. Braun Strowman is this massive man 
who is like lightning quick. It's he defies all logic. He's like the most over guy in the company right now. He's like the only he's reason o- to watch Monday Night Raw. Guy? Yeah. Oh yeah. What he's over, mean? man. He's like, ah, it means like he's massively popular with the fan base. Like he can oh, do no over. wrong. He's he could like, like yeah, he's over. Oh uh, yeah. I'm saying like he's, he's, an, well, I guess I said he's an, an okay. over man. Like, so, like he's, he's one of, he's, like, he's, he's one of the guys who's really over. It's just like, he's like, uh, he's like stone cold Steve Austin in 90. Yeah. So he, he could do whatever he wants. Right. And so last week, uh, the, uh, it was, you know, he's, he's the, uh, he's has the money in the bank contract, which I don't think you know anything about. So it's like at any point he could cash it in. It's kind of like how well, WWF way back, back in, in the, the day, day they did. Well, remember they did the twenty four seven hardcore. It was like hardcore Holly and Crash Holly. They kept going back no, and I forth with them like doing the briefcase thing, where like if you win the briefcase, okay. don't you get like a title shot or something like that? Yeah, okay, that's exactly yeah. what it is. So like Strowman came out at SummerSlam when Brock Lesnar was fighting Roman Reigns. He's like, I'm I'm not gonna like hit one of you from behind. Like whichever one of you uh-huh. wins, you're gonna have to get He's these back hands in right. And so it's now, Bar- so it's Brock who Brock. Uh, he's Last back out now. I he lost. Him, he lost at oh, SummerSlam. Okay. Last time I watched him, he, and, he beat the crap out of somebody in uh, the UFC, and then he got popped for drugs or something. So. Yep, yep, pretty much typical. But yeah, anyway, so so Braun Strowman, really popular guy. Last week, Roman Reigns uh, kind of wimps out. Strowman like comes out. He's going to actually challenge him. He's going to cash it in. They say he's going to cash it in. And the match never goes official because Roman Reigns is, you know, his boys, Seth Rollins and uh, Dean Ambrose come running out. They reunite the shield. And I actually thought that we were like all going heel because I'm like Braun is too is too popular. Like you can't you can't make Braun Strowman into a heel. It's just stupid. Like he started as one. But like that would just be dumb. Well, last night he goes and aligns himself with like two of the biggest heels that have been like feuding with with uh, the other two guys from Mm -hmm. the shield. So. It's like, I, I'm seeing through it. Like, I think it's total crap. Roman Reigns is not a face. I hate it. I think it's stupid. And uh, I'm pretty sure that he started with a Nazi gimmick at some point. I think we should get Roman Reigns fired from the WWE mm. and uh, institute Braun Strowman as a uh, universal well, champion. Think, Thank yeah. you. And the podcast. If we've established anything with this podcast. Um, this that we need a, re- uh, we'll do a wrestling podcast. And uh, maybe, we'll we, get, maybe we can get... We, um, Kimono Wanalea uh, to come on the podcast. We'll see what Francine is doing. And uh, we'll get the yeah. Sandman and Tommy Dreamer on there, too. We'll see what we'll the Dudley boys Sable? are. Sable. Sable's probably my favorite. Uh, one of my favorite groups from ECW was uh, the Full-Blooded Italians, FBI. Which, which oh, I don't FBI? think I can say, can I say uh, that yeah. on the podcast. Like Little Guido. Full-Blooded Italian? Guido on the podcast. It was Little Guido. That's fine. I'm half Italian, I think, so I think I can say this anyway. But it was little <laughs> Guido. It was Tracy. You just dropped something in Slack while we're talking about this. This oh, is I, incredible. Yeah, Michael the Kendrick's, multitasking fiend. We have breaking fiend. news actually on the podcast right now. Um, okay. This is. Uh, I'm going to try to hold my microphone up to it actually and play it. It's the hard. I guess hard is hard knocks on right now. And um, yeah, no, it was, it was on okay. Sunday. Oh, I'm sorry. So it was right. Yeah, but apparently here's Michael Kendrick saying that uh, Zach Ertz can't block. And um, Big V has bad feet. So let me play this and see if y'all can hear it. Notice I said receiver. When it comes to blocking, you fucking hit his ass over and over. He doesn't want any smoke. Whoa. By time, he's so big that his size allows him to do what he does. You see, but he doesn't have the quickest feet and he's not the strongest. He doesn't trust his feet at all. You get on him, his confidence will go down. Yeah, that's it. Michael Kendricks talking wow. some shit, man. Wow, Michael Kendricks. He uh, 
Guy wins the Super Bowl, now he goes off, and you know he's he's just as corrupt as the Philadelphia Parking Authority. Well, huh? I think he's I I I I understand. I guess I, I get why he's doing what he it, but trying to do or what he's saying. But yeah. I think I, uh, with all due respect uh, to Super Bowl champion Michael Kendricks, I think he's full of shit. Yep, I I would tend to agree with you. And that'll that do it for this episode of Crossing Broadcast. Whoa, whoa. I'm Skip, I'm what was Skip the, Bayless. Uh, oh, okay. Alongside Shannon uh, We Sharp. had one other team. There's one other team that uh, we have to cover that uh, that I think actually does deserve a little bit of time. I think they do. On this uh, this podcast. Right. And it's not the sole. Uh, not the sole. The Arena League, I think, folded, right? Or they're, no, they were down to four teams uh, last oh, season. I think they're still rolling with just the four, aren't they? With the four? Yeah, wow. The four horsemen. That was another good tag team. Another good stable. Yeah. Anyway. Yo, you know who died? Uh, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, man. Rest in peace, brother. Yeah, and his... His daughter is uh, is a pro. Yeah, wrestler I know now. about that because my wife watches the th- the show. The Divas, total divas. Yeah. I don't watch it, but wow, your wife really does she watch does. all of That's those how shows. I know. Yeah, all of those yeah. shows. One of these pod. Does she watch Crisley or Trisley? No, but on the next Trisley? podcast, I'm going to give you my top five uh, housewives of 2018. Wow. Are we sure that Kim Kardashian's really that attractive? No. Are we sure? Are we sure? On the Ringer Podcast Network. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, Philadelphia Union. Um, they've won a bunch of games in a row. Are we sure they're a team in Philadelphia? They've won Go a ahead. bunch of games in a row, man. And, like, uh, no, honestly, I, I know it's it's not just, like, you and, uh, you and I are soccer guys or whatever, and we try to, like, give them a mention a, a, whenever we can just to keep them relevant, you know. But they're winning a bunch of games, and they're in a playoff spot right now. They're probably going to make the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> playing good soccer. <laughs> they're, they got a chance. Of, they're Yay. in the U.S. Open Cup final, which if you don't really know anything Clap about that, the U.S. Open Cup final is basically like the FA Cup in England. It's like a side competition from the regular season of MLS where they can win another. They can win a separate trophy uh, if they win that. So they're in the final of that, and that's coming up. Um, and they've won four in a row in all competitions. Is that right? Do I have that right? Yeah, it's yeah. insane. It's insanity. And people are listening to... It shouldn't be happening. Their goal... <laughs> Goal differential on the season is uh, minus yeah. four, and, they're and they sit in fifth in the Eastern yeah, Conference. So. Well, it yeah. says a lot about the MLS playoff scenario, which is like the NBA, where the eighth seed or the seventh seed are basically just dog shit teams that are just in there for the sake of being in there. But, uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, the Union are playing well recently. They're passing the ball around, seem to have understood themselves. The defense is really clicking. The midfield's playing really well. Corey Burke has something like seven goals now in seven, seven and seven, right? Seven and seven yeah. starts. Yeah, so, they're undefeated. I think they're seven and zero, right? With with him as the. All uh, I can say is that if you're, I not, think in games that he scores. Yeah, yeah, look, if you're if you're lukewarm uh, on the Union, or you were looking for a reason to be interested, because I think most Philly fans at least understand that like the owner is really cheap and like doesn't spend a lot of money, and so they say. Um, in a strange way, I feel like they accept the average four for four Philadelphia fan might accept the union by saying, okay, they are just as shitty as other Philadelphia teams have been like welcome to the family. Um, but now they're playing well recently and they're actually enjoyable to watch. So go figure they'll probably play like, like uh crap all of the next time out. So. Yep. So that's uh that's our moment to, uh, to give Jim Curtin a little bit of, bo- of a, uh, yeah. a boost. I know that Ernst Tanner is actually going to get rid of him at the end of the season, uh, despite what he does. I happen to know that uh, Ernst takes his job very seriously. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I don't expect anybody except the people who speak German to understand that mm. joke. Ernst uh, is German for serious. Oh, yeah, is I don't it? know. Okay. I don't know all if. Right. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it I is. Took like so, one uh, semester don't of expect German. him to smile all that one much. One semester of German in college. I don't remember anything about him. So. This was a very German podcast. Yeah. By the way, who has had a worse week? Mm-hmm. You ready for this? 
so Bob Costas, I think you wrote this up, right? Yeah. Bob Costas uh, is heading towards a, uh, a mutual departing with, with, uh, but he's with NBC. Still on MLB. He's, does he still do an MLB network every week or all the time? I have no clue. I would assume that maybe he just keeps doing that. But in the story, it made it seem like he was interested in just doing a different show entirely. You know, like some of his political and social commentary started to creep into some of the things that he was doing on the air. I think that's maybe kind of where his head's at at this point, you know. Who's had a worse week uh, for parting from their company, Bob Costas or Jamel Hill? The word came out that Jamel Hill is mm. not... Uh, she's, I guess she's working on a uh, buyout or a contract's not going to be renewed with ESPN. It feels like, I think Jamel Hill is like maybe the most polarizing person right now in, in uh, sports because it seems like the people who are kind of the, uh, how do I put it? Like liberal Twitter, like liberal sports mm-hmm. Twitter seem to like kind of hold her up as a goddess. And then like, it seems like the moderate fan. And then of course, like the people who, you know, are, are totally anti-player rights or whatever, you know, think she's the Antichrist. Yeah. So, yeah. like, there has to be some kind of middle ground. I but like, middle ground, but I don't, I don't really I don't, have an opinion yeah, on I don't her, know. Like, one way or another. Yeah. Like, I, I, like, somebody had said, well, you know, um, the Athletic should go after her, or um, I think it was, like, NBC. They were like, NBC and Fox should be all over her and, and building programming on, on FS1 oh, around her. And I'm like, well... I don't I don't know exactly like what what does that show even look like? I mean, you think about it, like a lot of these big personalities or or people that have a following, like look at Michelle Beadle, right? Like she gets essentially axed from get up and it seems like knowing that she was gonna be removed from that show or getting an increased role in the NBA coverage, she, you know, kinda threw out that she doesn't even watch football anymore and mm-hmm. and people thought that, that was the reason that she, you know, got, you know, effectively demoted or whatever. And like it just seems like a lot of these well, networks what does Jalen you know, Rose they, know about football. And what does Mike what does Mike Greenberg know about ice hockey or soccer? You know? It's like that's yeah. why they have that rotating door of different people who are on that show every single day. But like kind of to tie it in with the Jamel Hill thing, like put me in the group of people that like I don't want debate shows and Stephen A. Smith and Nick Wright and Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. Like I still just want to see like rapid fire highlights, you know, because I wake up at like seven in the morning, I'm like groggy as shit. I'm just like sitting there with cereal in front of the TV, just like show me everything that happened while I was asleep or like, you know, the best highlights of the day and stuff like you and I grew up in that generation of kids who were watching Stuart Scott and uh, Linda Cohn and Steve Levy and, you know, all those people who there weren't any any frills or bullshit, you know, it's like, here's what happened. Here's what you need to know, which is how the news business used to be also, you know, before all these people started giving you their opinion that you never asked for in the first place. But um, I just don't, I don't know who they're listening to or what these focus groups are saying or like what consultants are telling them specific things. But ESPN right now is delivering kind of exactly the opposite of what I'm interested in. Um, but I do appreciate that they're pushing soccer a little bit. I know that they have the broadcast rights to a bunch of the games. And so obviously you're going to hear more about that than ice hockey, for example. But, um, Otherwise, I just like sit there and like keep it on in the background, like for work purposes, so if anything breaks or happens or whatever. But most of the time, I'm just like, eh, you know. Uh, I, I guess to finish today, and I, I kind of wish I had, ex- I, I should have brought this up. And if up you're with, on the Schuylkill uh, Expressway Kyle, right now, on whatever the, to work, uh, you might just be arriving <laughs> in um, Center City. I, there was there was a an old segment that we used to do on the show like a year ago. You guys actually and had it lasted like, like a structure. Oh my god! It used to start off with like segments. You guys it was don't awful. just like anyway. say random shit for like an hour and fifteen minutes and just yeah. wing, wing yeah. Yeah, imagine thing. that. Yeah, and then people were like mad that we had segments. Whatever. 
There was one that we had, and we, we called it Walking the Kenwood Trail. If you remember for uh, Doug Overton, <laughs> who had gotten himself in trouble for uh, indecent yeah, exposure. Yeah. And it was like, man, that guy's really walking the Kenwood Trail. Like, he's having a really bad mm. day. Um, for the first time in 2018, I would like to propose a, uh, a new member of the uh, Walking the Kenwood Trail Club. And that, of course, would be uh, none other than uh, Tony Bruno who this week in the immediate aftermath of the uh, the tragic shooting that happened at the, the Madden tournament um, made a, a, a off-color joke, I think would be the nicest way to put it, um, in saying that, um, uh, well, I, I heard the new Madden game was bad, but uh, I didn't think it was that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, like that that to me was just awful, terrible. I mean, it's, and, and he's a guy who like definitely seems to kind of have his uh, his back arched up at this point. He's in a very defensive standpoint. Uh, well, it's where most of his arguments come from at this point is that he just it, it assumes that anybody on social media is going to go attack him. But you kind of make yourself an easy target when you make such an awful remark like that. And I don't know. It to me, it it seems like you know. I know he's not on the radio anymore, and like he can do whatever he wants. Like it just seems like that. That's like it's not even like shock jock like if Ennis had done that the whole city would have like burned yeah. into the ground right like somebody would yeah. have hunted him down like i don't know if if bruno kind of has has it because like people think he's kind of like fallen off into relative obscurity or if it's just like you think ah man well you know he says stuff he's getting a little bit older you know you don't know what's yeah, going through his, his head yeah, oh it's, it's uncle uncle tony oh i love when he did the show with Mays. like i don't i don't know i I just thought it was bad. Well, one I thought of the that other one was, guys was pretty terrible. With his podcast, had some kind of like meltdown on Twitter too. And like, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I love Tony. I think he's a really good dude. Um, I love Robin. I had you know multiple interactions with them when I worked at Channel Three when Tony was at WIP. Um, I think they're both really cool, good people, or whatever. Um, I yeah, I just I'm not really sure what he's doing on Twitter right now. Um, I'd like to see him just kind of. Hopefully dial it back a little bit and just sort of get back to being the Tony Bruno who had really good, really good shows with Harry and um, and the end of the night show that he used to, that he used to do on ninety seven five. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure where he's coming. I miss coming him and Harry. Apparently, really why don't we end it on this? Uh, the Phillies apparently just blew this game. What did they do? Here? I'm trying to figure. Out. I, all I see, all I see is like Twitter. I go on Twitter and I just see like ten straight tweets where it says like the Phillies are uh, five Philly. four. There Just it is. At this point, uh, this uh, tweet says, great. no fucking way. Another one says, oh, my God, Phillies. Um, uh, let me see here. Okay. Bob so, tweeted a half hour ago, the season's over, friends. It was over Vince when Zimmerman Velasquez, took Dominguez deep last oh, week. Vince, Vince Velasquez initially ruled out tagging up too early from second to third with two outs. Yep, I'm looking at it right now. Phillies down a run. Yep. Well, should I just make a ball caught in shallow, shallow right field? Should I just oh, make a geez. fart noise and then we'll end the podcast with that? Yeah, I kind of feel like that's uh, that's where this whole thing's going. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll right. s- yeah, this has been a Crossing Broadcast, part of the Crossing Broad <laughs> Podcast Network. Go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including. Uh, you can go listen to the sultry, dulcet tones of Kevin Kincaid on It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. <laughs> go check out uh, Cross Up a Phillies podcast. They dropped a new episode on Tuesday morning. Snow the Goalie will be out later this week with the uh, aforementioned 
interview with Alex Lyon, and we'll get and, on that. Um, yeah. Crossing Broad FC, we'll be we'll and be we'll doing one on this the, uh, this we'll weekend. It'll be the, good. Uh, maybe we'll do the wrestling podcast, and we'll get Brom Brom <laughs> Strowman on Braun Strowman. Braun. Ah, oh, dude. Strowman. Here's the worst part. I I didn't even Braun mention this before. So I I I think I I retweeted something uh, that Braun Strowman had tweeted. And I got the notification that Braun Strowman has followed you and was the same picture and everything. And I never get fished on these things. And uh, I thought I saw the blue check mark. I clicked on it. I'm like, oh my God, you this is amazing. By and now, it was, dude, it was, it, Braun. it was, it was somebody who just Braun. retweets like every 10th tweet by Braun Strowman. And I felt awful and I hate myself. So Russ it, so. got fished by uh, a fake Braun Strowman. And uh, that'll do it. For this episode for crossing, crossing broadcast. broadcast thanks uh thanks go for follow me. kevin yeah, on twitter i i hope i go follow him on yeah. twitter at kevin kevin, kevin underscore, underscore, is underscore on twitter. i hope i did okay kincaid man that was yeah. that was lovely and uh follow me on twitter at joy on broad i believe kyle is going to be back uh later this week at latest he'll be back All next right. week uh send him some well wishes on twitter about that uh that second child life's good see you soon